You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. This week on Earth Matters, we feature part one of a three-part show with Indigenous Action Network hosts Bearcat and Klee in conversation with Seneca Six Nations organiser Amanda Lickers about land trauma and some of the ways in which the climate justice movement continues to perpetuate white supremacy, capitalism and colonialism. This audio was sourced with thanks from Indigenous Action at indigenousaction.org. I'm Bearcat, um, I'm Shoshone and Paiute, and I live in the so-called Southwest America, so-called Americas. Um, and I'd like to welcome our guest today, Amanda Lickers, uh, a real badass, coming to us from, well, you know what, I'm not even going to attempt the name, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. My name is Amanda Lickers. I'm a Seneca of Six Nations of the Grand River, living here in Joni Jokjage, beautiful uh, Ganyagahaga territory in the sovereign Mohawk Nation. Happy to be representing the Haudenosaunee Confederacy here, you know, as a community member. And um, it's always fun to get with other troublemakers. Yeah, I use um, she and they, um, two-spirit, queer, um, anti-authoritarian and, um, that kind of stuff. So <laughs> yeah, just Nyala, thank you so much for hosting me today. Yeah, yeah, this is Klee and welcome. It's so great to reconnect with you. I'm really excited about the conversation today. Today's show, we're focusing on climate justice, colonialism, green capitalism, and land trauma to just get right into it. Our first question for you is that um, critiques of climate justice are not new, and you're no stranger to them. There's a video floating around out there of you confronting 350.org's Bill McKibben uh, directly about colonialism and capitalist violence, which is awesome. So I recommend people to check that out online. Um, you know, you've challenged white supremacy, capitalism, colonialism within the climate justice movement for years. Uh, and the, the main question I have for you right now is what, if anything, has changed uh, as you've seen this movement shift? Yeah, I mean, if get your antidepressants ready, like this is not going to be positive. I mean, it's it's hard to say. Like, I think. Um, you know, like a post standing rock context is very bleak. Um, it's just like the machine has gotten better, uh, at main, everything has become just so much more disconnected from grassroots movements. And even what is a grassroots movement has almost shifted in its definition. There's NGOs in everything. Um, co-optation is so fast it's like, it's to the point where, and it's also disheartening because like you said, these critiques of things like the people's climate march, this is not new. We've been doing this for 10 years at least. And people before us for 20, 30, 40, however many years, like our ancestors for generations have been holding down these front lines. So why do we have to continuously try to re-educate and interrupt the brainwashing with every new generation okay, guess what, you know, NGOs, it is 
just one side of the coin of the settler state. Their job is to broker deals between industry and government and cut out indigenous people time and time again. Uh, and it's, it's, it's very sad and it's not just limited to this kind of sellout vibes. It's also in, you know, on the front lines and the rape culture and patriarchy and cis heteronormativity that exists in the streets and makes it actually unsafe for people to be able to call out with dissent and dissenting voices. Critical thinking is seen as divisive and lateral violence. And when we speak to the systemic, you know, the systemic violences we're experiencing, Hey, this is, this is how white supremacy is coded as a system. Oh, well, you're just being divisive. It's, it's the exact same. It's the exact same critique that we've been making, you know, and it's actually sad now because it, at least, you know, at, in the beginning of the 2010s, there was still the leftover of the anti-globalization movement. And there was still that kind of spirit of rioting, you know, like where the hell are the riots? Like, it's just come get your blimp, come get your flag, come get your photo with Justin Trudeau at the head of the climate march and go work for an NGO. That's it. There is there is no climate justice movement. Hey, Amanda, uh, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like I there's only it. an indigenous sovereignty <laughs> movement. That's it. <laughs> oh man, I feel you so much on 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 all of it. And yeah, it is it is pretty disheartening, but it's good to hear. I guess to uh, um, relate to other people who are also you know in the mud with us and agree and and see all this shit too it's like we're not just imagining it we're not you know being you know any kind of way it's just that's what what it really is so Mm -hmm. um what are some of the implications and consequences that you see that come along with things like uh greenwashing and green capitalism now that we're talking a little bit more about um our our more contemporary struggles and, and the directions that we're going and the new the newer i guess front lines that we're seeing that are you know basically just a repetition of the old but um, what are some of the implications that you see? I think one of the things um, that I feel like just is not hitting home when it comes to like the way that greenwashing is morphing into, okay, sustainable energy, renewable energy, like continue the settler project, like settler colonialism is not sustainable. There is no greenwashing genocide. And so when the system is still based in exploitation of peoples and lands, as resources, when peoples and lands are seen as resources, then we're not, we're not getting anywhere. And I think what is happening is just an incredibly effective system linked to globalization that is assimilating our energy and our movements into the status quo. Um, and with that, you know, it's, it's like, I think we're going to talk about this later around tactics, but even, you know, the reality is that the gra- what is left of the grassroots is now, unless you're on a front line that's based in sovereignty, like based in, you know, in- indigenous sovereignty and like land back struggles directly, um, part of those historical and contemporary movements, I feel that campaign to campaign style organizing is not working. Um, we're just raising a lot of money to hand over to the state for bail. And putting people in harm's way just to deal with an epidemic of mental health and a lack of resources and support, putting people um, 
in the teeth of the state to be chewed out and spit out, spit away, to be targeted, to have their f- lives ripped away from them, you know, and at the same time, you know, 350.org, Greenpeace, Honor the Earth, whoever you want to say, you know, they're making, they're making money off of this. They're building media campaigns and they're, they're part of a larger capitalist system that will benefit. And so for me, I feel like we need to stop setting people up to just be like kidnapped. Basically, we got to stop because there are better ways to do it that are not on social media. And for example, like a historical example that it is safe to talk about is like 2013, Elsie Bookduck, Mi'kmaq territory. You know, they were fighting anti-fracking. There, it was anti-fracking resistance fighting uh, Texas-based SWN. And, you know, they took grassroots approaches and they didn't do showy lockdowns where there's a bunch of media and there's 30 people getting arrested and a bunch of cops coming. What happened was, you know, uh, equipment was being destroyed. A lot of equipment was being destroyed and it was being chalked up to the beavers, man. It was, it was on some secret society shit. You know what I'm saying? And that was effective. That was effective, you know, and it's just why get caught? Why put your face? Why put your name? Why put your likes and your social status and your, your ass on the line here? You know, it's especially there's people who are the first ones to volunteer to be arrested and sometimes they're the most vulnerable. And so what does it mean when also the privileges are mismatched? You know, it's not white people lining up and there are, there are white people lining up and like, that's fine. Go ahead and do that civil disobedience thing. That's your vibe. Go ahead. You know, but that's not what catches attention. Money catches attention, you know? Um, Anyway, so I'll just leave it at that for. I wanted to just get a little deeper into the greenwashing and green capitalism component and perhaps Bearcat you might want to add to this because, you know, we're looking at these proposals like the green new deal Uh, that has been proposed and even the sort of, you know, what I would consider a pseudo radical response of the red new deal by the red nation, the Marxist group that has been fairly problematic in this region. Um, You know, but when we talk about greenwashing, I mean, we have to be clear that that means, you know, prisons being green, you know, it means, you know, uh, composting at prisons. It means the the U.S. military being one of the largest uh, users of green technologies because they want to be autonomous or self-sufficient in the battlefield, you know. Um, And it also looks like part of the response to the war in Ukraine, where the Defense Production Act is being invoked by the Biden administration to you know, say, well, we need, this is one of the reasons we need to disentangle ourselves from corporate globalization and be energy independent, which is targeting, further targeting indigenous lands uh, here. You know, I'm not trying to say that to just make a distinction between like the nationalist agendas, but really look at the implications of 
um, what this larger concept of climate justice and just transition means if we're talking about it in the context of one settler and resource colonialism and two uh, global capital industrial capitalism. So, you know, it'd be great to hear y'all's thoughts about that. Yeah, I could add to that. Like, I think, like, from the very beginning, it's, you know, there's it's a false hope of it of just rebranding you know where they're like okay you know we want this autonomy we're gonna move towards windmills we're gonna do you know however much hydro whatever any of these any of these even you know it comes down to solar panels like all all there is no green you know resource extraction period there is not even hydroelectric and this is a huge issue here in so-called Quebec where it's literally run by the by the state and they're damming out traditional territory they're selling hydroelectricity to the United States and you know the indigenous communities are being cut out of negotiations it's undermining sovereignty everything you know so it's it's like this is the metamorphosis into the next stage of resource colonization where it just it looks a little bit different it it has a different face it's a different it's a rebrand it's a rebranding is what it is and for people to really talk about this as climate justice is missing the mark of what that term is supposed to actually reflect when we think about justice and it's just like it's really we need to have a stronger like abolitionist perspective when it comes to the connection between colonization and environmental destruction and that we will not be able to overcome this without coming to the roots of colonization and attacking it straight ahead You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. And unfortunately, I think with the type of visibility that has come like post-Standing post Rock, people are getting confused about what representation actually means that the, and equating it to freedom and equating it to liberation and equating it to harm reduction, even when it's actually just a new, you know, it's like a narcissistic manipulation that's just going next level. It's a continued abuse. It's just, again, it's just like people thinking they're going to vote in some type of change. This is not, this is not it. No, you know, and I'm tired of seeing all of these movements and our colleagues and folks just putting so much energy, you know, wood into their fires, you know, like we have our own, and I feel this way too about the Academy. And it's like, we have our own solutions. We have our own, our, our knowledge systems are our lodges on our longhouses and our hogans. And like, we have our own work to do in terms of revitalizing our, our, our structures and everyone is just like caught up in the rat race and I get it you know people have whatever they've got their kids and they got their situations but at a certain point you know why is everything being just built within the system and so I feel like with the greenwashing whether it's from the nation state of the U.S., which is like a joke to think of the United States of ever becoming environmentally sustainable you know just the sheer impact alone of the United States but then it's like 
sustainable for who and sustainable for what, you know? And it's like, what is this word sustainability is starting to become like encoded as settler white supremacy. And I think that we need to start critiquing that more and actually pushing for a no, it's not sustainable. And things naturally have a life cycle. Like as we know, you know, as the seasons change, death is natural, you know, an end is natural. And um, it's difficult, but that's, these are the things that we have to you know, grapple with. And, and that's so much of what is celebrated where people are like, oh yeah, we're um, homesteading with our sustainable practices and composting and looking at permaculture or dry farming techniques. When it's settlers doing that, they're just sustaining mm -hmm. settler occupation and making it green, which ultimately, you know, as you said, greenwashes genocide. It greenwashes the ongoing settler colonial violence. And, you know, that's definitely one of the things that we've sort of critiqued for years is that no matter how green you make your, you know, your lifestyles, capitalism and colonialism are completely un and totally unsustainable. And, you know, part of the reason I was trying to drag you into this, pull you into this conversation bear cut on the levels because your community is facing that right now with lithium mining and our communities have faced that with the legacy of uranium mining where nuclear power could be considered if you yeah. listen to the scientists as a green technology which you know if you look at of course the from the mining to the waste the whole nuclear production cycle we say no it's a it's a yeah. completely deadly lie no absolutely and it's it's just like even with this homesteading permaculture, you know, not only is it just reifying and, and creating that sort of greenwashing around settlerhood, but also it's, it's ensuring uh, settler futurity. And I think like this needs to be challenged head on. Um, and they're using techniques. This is also too where the racism like, comes as part of that, where indigenous sciences are not seen as progressive. Meanwhile, Western sciences are bringing us to the point of climate catastrophe in less than five, 600 years. You know, this, who's really, you know, advanced, right? And permaculture, this is an indigenous science, this is an indigenous technology. And it's all about any literacy of the land, even bioremediation techniques how to pull out heavy metals, how to clean the water. A lot of these are actually traditional indigenous knowledge and sciences. And so it's actually revitalizing our knowledge systems. And so they're using our ancestors' findings, applying those methods to the territory for their own settler futurity. Okay. And this is where it just, it needs to be repositioned as if it's not anti-colonial, then it's not doing anything. And it's, there's a, such a invisibility of the reality of indigenous sovereignty. And I feel that there's just the reproduction of terra nullius mentally is just, it's, it's so huge, you know, and this idea of the land, you know, being inanimate as an object and that, you know, it's an empty earth uninhabited by, you know, we are flora and fauna as indigenous peoples, you know, all these types of things. And it comes anyway, even it ties even to even something like Marxism that views the land as a means of production. And it's always about uh, an economic system based in mon on a monetary system and a fiat currency and a settler state. And Marx, he came over and he studied the Haudenosaunee. And that's where these begin their ideas is all off of us. 
this idea of socialism, we already invented it. Democracy, we already invented it. Like we don't need Western political theory to develop an anti-colonial or anti-capitalist analysis. Our ancestors are the anti-capitalist analysis, you know? And so whether it's Diné technology or, you know, Shoshone technology, you know, political systems, it's within our nations. And we have confederacies. You go from coast to coast to coast. We have confederacies. We have nation to nation agreements. We have it. We had this. So I'm yeah, tired of it. No, there's no need to reinvent the wheel here. Um, that's, that's a big uh, thing. I, I think people tend to overthink it and think that there is no, that they're looking in a direction that there is no, um, that there's no reason for to be struggling. And like you were saying, it goes into that whole ploy of representation. Like y'all are not being represented. You are being marketed to. And you are being marketed to in front of a whole audience of people so for a purpose. And we saw this with like the January 6th, the riots or, or whatever they would like to call it at, in D.C. We saw so many of the, the orgs and the org-minded people <laughs> completely throwing a fit like oh this is this is terrible and meanwhile we're over here like okay <laughs> do your thing and it seems that our viewpoints almost align if you were to look at it from the outside but on a, in the inside <laughs> when you're in like the veins of it they're completely opposites but they're so opposite they're almost back around you know um and it's it can be very confusing and this is this is a point that they are playing on this is a point that they are actively seeking out and co-opting and these are the things that we need to not only educate ourselves on but be aware of and be on the lookout for the tactics and i think it's really interesting i would like to hear uh, more what you think about the tactics that are going on and um if there's anything that you could or would like to share with our audience members on how to do that actively i think like uh all too often, we just get caught up in these politics of whatever recognition and visibility, representation. And like, obviously, yes, it is powerful to see, you know, yourself represented in a world where you're constantly erased. Like, we're dealing with the death culture of colonial capitalism on the daily, you know, but also, you know, where, you know, I want to see myself being represented, like, within spaces of my choosing and, like, within cultural spaces and within, you know, fellow, like, Indigenous spaces. And and I want to see, you know, non-Indigenous people actually talking about and visibilizing the settler colonial project instead of leaving it all on us all the time. And that's the type of visibilization I want to see. I want to see like the abuse actually be talked about and no longer kept like in hiding in secret. And I think that there's just so much work to be done um, on ter in terms of tactics. Like, uh, do you mean in terms, like in terms of like how, like what those guys were doing, like with that January 6th stuff or like more in terms of like a uh, frontline style? Honestly, I or see it a lot more of our own people doing the work for them and it's like what the hell <laughs> you guys want to talk shit about us about oh you guys are divisive you're doing the state's job for them this and that and it's like you're literally yeah doing their job for them and it's uh things like that like um in connection into that i guess like policing each other and all this kind of stuff i think part of it what i've when i've seen it really strong it's like i think 
it's really difficult because, you know, we have all this intergenerational trauma that we're navigating and it's really difficult when you come up into conflict with folks and maybe you have different ideas about how to approach something. And especially with this conversation around violence or nonviolence or even what is violence, you know, like it's a big tired conversation, I think. And, you know, it's very difficult, especially when you're dealing in intergenerationally, where you might have different perspectives. There's always obviously too, like, but, you know, from the Haudenosaunee perspective, it's like with the warrior societies, you know, their job is to carry the burden of peace. You know, you're not just fighting for no reason, you know, and you're not fighting to kill or wipe each other out. It's to protect yourself. It's a form of self-defense. And just like, you know, tying to rape culture as well, like, if you're, if you have to defend yourself, you have to defend yourself and that needs to be respected. Um, and really understanding like our goals, I think is really helpful to try to be like, okay, well, if our goal is to say, stop a project, then what's the most effective way to do that? That's the safest for everyone. And I think there's a lot of internalized, just, you know, there's a lot of just, we've been so historically policed um, as indigenous peoples that there's just such a sense sometimes of like, Oh, we have to do it a certain way. Like we need to do a petition and we need to go knock on Deb Holland's door and like ask, you know, president Biden, please, please help us. Like, obviously not, you know, and this is just why something like the national inquiry into missing and murdered indigenous women and girls in Canada, you know, it, there was a positive thing that came out of it. And my friend Autumn Godwin was talking about this, um, you know, that survivors got to actually speak to their experiences. Right. Um, but also, and just like with any Royal commission, whether it's deaths in custody in Australia, indigenous people, there being killed by the state doing a Royal commission. It's so that way the, you know, the perpetrator can investigate themselves and then they can put it on a shelf and they can say, we did something, you know? So, we need to really think about what is the system change that we're we're looking for. And part of that is, I think, also having some patience when people don't have the same perspective and trying how do we educate each other and how, in, a, in a gentle way, but not too gentle either. You know what I mean? Sometimes we need to get a little rough and kind of push back. Maybe even also showing by example, too, can also be another thing because there is a lot of misinformation and stuff like that happening with the internet and the social media and everything. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. This week we heard part one of a three-part show with Indigenous Action Network hosts Bearcat and Klee in conversation with Seneca Six Nations organiser Amanda Lickers about land trauma and some of the ways in which the climate justice movement continues to perpetuate white supremacy, capitalism and colonialism. This audio was sourced with thanks from Indigenous Action and IndigenousAction.org and you should definitely check them out and support the excellent and radical projects that they do. And you can connect with and support Amanda Licker's untiring and amazing activism at Instagram at scrimpscrap, that's S-K-R-I-M-P-S-K-R-A-P and paypal.com forward slash paypal me forward slash a liquors and you can find those links on our podcast page at 3cr.org.au forward slash earth matters
And just a heads up, people, that we're heading into Radiothon time again at 3CR, so please give what you can and support truly independent, community-owned and operated media. And you can pledge your donation to Earth Matters by calling the station on 039-419-8377. You can also donate online via our Earth Matters 2022 crowdfunder at givenow.com.au. And the link to that will be on our Facebook and Twitter accounts and in our podcast show notes at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And, of course, you can also find us on your socials. That's all for today, but don't forget to tune in next week for more environmental justice stories. Twenty Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. Twenty Years on the Inside. I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcasts. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. Well, all the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app. 